from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the weekly internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Carl Franklin introducing show number nine with guest Eric Marvitz, recorded Friday, June 1st, 2007. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, offering professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. Hi, you're listening to Run As Radio, and this is Richard Campbell, and with me as usual, Greg Hughes. Hello, Richard. How are you doing? I'm enjoying the fine technology of radio because right now we're a tech ed. That's right. In fact, we've been uh, working with Pwop, with Carl Franklin and all the other guys at Pwop to put together quite a show at TechEd. We're working with the virtual TechEd folks and at the virtual TechEd stage down in the main hall. Uh, so that's us. We're there all the time. We've been doing all sorts of things, putting together some panels. We've even been shooting some video. Of course, I'm talking about stuff I haven't actually done yet. <laughs> because we record this a little bit ahead of time, but I'm I'm confident that it's beautiful, sunny Orlando, Florida, and that we're doing what everybody does when they go to Orlando. Staying inside. Go, go to a great big building with air conditioning. That's right. You're staying <laughs> inside. It's hot out there. Stay inside. But if you're at TechEd, Please come down to the virtual tech ed stage. Come and visit us. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah, we'd be it'd be great to to see you, find out what you think, and just you know geek out for a little while and have a little bit of fun. I'm, I'm we're you know it's a it's a fun time. Tech ed's always a great show, and look forward to seeing people down there at the virtual tech ed booth. All right, Craig, I got an email. Yes. Uh, this one says, hi, Richard and Greg. I just finished listening to show number eight with Brian Komar, which I found very interesting. Yes, I can't, it was. It was a lot of fun. Brian's a gas. I can't believe how much you can fit into a half hour show. And yet I can only imagine how much more there is to cover on this subject. Once again, a brilliant show. Well, thanks. Thanks for thinking so. You know, I'm, I'm always surprised at how much we fit into half an hour as well. But I always feel like I've left two or three shows on the floor at the end of every show. But that's a good thing because it gives us a reason to call people back and to say, hey, let's come back and talk about this again. And I did not expect uh, public key infrastructure to be quite as interesting as you guys made it. And I say you guys mean Greg and Brian because I was faking it through that show. Uh, well, you know, I, we each have our own little areas of interest and focus, don't we? Yeah, well, secure, two security professionals walk into a room. Fill in gag line here. <laughs> Let me read the rest of this email. Sure. At the start of the show, you mentioned backup to disk, which brought a smile to my face. And that was another email of somebody else saying, talk about backup to disk some more. That's right. And I'd really like to hear some experts talk about this subject. Do you hear a theme here, Greg? How many times have we been asked to do backup to disk as a show? You know, it's it, it's a it's a low cost. I mean, they say disk space is cheap. It right? is. You know, and in the grand scheme of things, there's two things that tend, you know, in an application environment to be cheap. Sorry to interrupt your email here, but you know, one of those is disk and the other one is RAM. You know, if you got performance problems, you know, RAM is cheap insurance, disk is cheap insurance. And Absolutely. from a rely, you know, the the reason it's really popular and there's so much interest, reliability. The it's, fact of the matter is, is that the old school way of doing tapes it just don't cut it so Ta much. I no find more. tapes unreliable, but you know the biggest thing is that I've got a drive. Doesn't matter what computer I walk up to, I can plug it in. I have a tape. I found tapes where they didn't work between the same model drive because they had different firmware on it. 
Well, I can tell you one thing, and that is you're absolutely right. And I can tell you another thing, and that is that when it really works really, really well, and when you can truly, t- truly take a drive and plug it into a, any machine, then we have to start thinking about, wow, that's awfully easy access to the data. What do I need to do to protect it? Right. Yeah, you're going the other way. Yep. And gee, isn't that this week's show? Actually, I think it is. Yes, it is. What a nice <laughs> setup you did there, Greg. I didn't I got, mean let, to. <laughs> <laughs> let me finish this email. I work for a small company of seven people where I am the IT team. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> it's happened to I, me too, man. Don't, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, that's our target audience. Yeah. I mean, we're, they, you know, it's a tough, tough job. I'll tell you, there's a lot of heroes out there that make amazing things happen, you know, and really work magic and, and kudos to all of you. I've been there and done that before and it, it's hard work. Well, look at the list of things this guy has to do. I look after the network, Microsoft SQL, Microsoft Exchange. There's a life terror right there <laughs> and user account management. I also do development of the company website and all the internal desktop applications. The programming side of things is the major part of my job, but all the other ones are just as important. Well, it sounds like they need to buy some more software for that guy to, to use. He's obviously not managing enough equipment yet. Yeah, that's that sounds like quite the workload. And um, it also sounds like it's probably an awful lot of fun. Yeah, I, I hope so. When it comes to backup, we are using tapes, but I would much rather move to something like an external disk for nightly backups. I would also like the ability of taking the backups off-site, even when it is just the weekly one. At this stage, I back up about 10 to 15 gigabytes of data, easily fitting on a single tape, so I do a full backup each night. I would love to hear some suggestions for my kind of scenario. Keep the great shows coming. Regards, Philip. Yeah, that's that's terrific. You know, Philip, I think that we... I, we we really intend to address more backup options in future shows. Um, the only thing that I would caution people against is taking their backups home and sticking them in the garage or even worse, leaving them in the car. Yeah, when it comes to doing offsite backups, there's real security risk associated with doing that. And so, you know, the companies that I've worked for, we utilize a professional offsite vault, uh, and, and organization that does that for us with armored cars. And there's a reason that we do that, you know, especially in our financial services business and banking is the sensitivity of that data can be very, very critical. Um, but even where, you know, it's employee records and stuff from your, you know, your uh, QuickBooks or other accounting system that you're running for the small business, uh, if you have that data on a laptop or on a backup drive or whatever, you leave it sitting in the car or you leave it sitting in your house, that kind of thing. Just just keep in mind that there's risks associated with that. Yeah, I think it's well worth paying for a service for that. It just takes the issue off the table. There, 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 there's a probably a, a size of business and a size of revenue that, you know, makes that more possible than otherwise. But one thing that I've found is that a lot of small businesses don't really look into it enough to find out how inexpensive it can be to leverage an offsite. Uh, tape or other media. They'll even do CDs and paper for you if you ask them to. Yeah. Uh, and, type, and, type of a company that can really um, give you an awful lot of peace in mind. You know, we talk about cheap insurance. There there are ways to do that using using these companies, and it's probably worth looking into. Way less money than your premium for your errors and omissions insurance. I'm sure of that. Considerably less, uh, I think, in, in, in most cases. And you know what? It's, that's a good segue, as you mentioned, into our topic for the show today. All right, Greg, let's introduce our guest. Eric Marvitz is a developer security MVP and the consulting services manager with Mark Dunn's group, Dunn Training and Consulting. Of course, Mark Dunn, definitely a friend of the show. 
and his specialty is encryption. Eric is passionate about spreading best practices to the developer community. He can often be found delivering user group talks on security-related subjects throughout the Southeast. He also maintains a blog at, and I shrinksterize the blog, uh, so you go to shrinkster.com and type in PKO, so shrinkster.com slash PKO. It'll take you right to the Security Samurai blog, Eric's blog. So welcome, Eric. Hi. So here we are, and I know we started out our conversation via email about laptop security, and it sort of morphed into this external storage security in general, whether it be the hard drives in a laptop or just the loose hard drives that are USB or FireWire, things like that. And that kind of led us down the path to TrueCrypt. Am I going in the right direction here? Yeah, it's good for any type of um, mobile-based computing where you have a laptop or you have a thumbstick that you carry between office and home. Anytime you have data that's going to be in a, a vulnerable or compromised state where an attacker could possibly get their hands on it, uh, this would be good. It's, it's not really designed for servers in the back room or anything of that nature. Yeah, I'm, I'm imagining uh, not focused on performance near as much as, you know, reasonable security. Well, they do have some performance options in there, which make it uh, actually a little bit more configurable than like EFS or BitLocker. But it, you're right, it is not designed uh, for performance. It's more for usability. All right, so what are we talking about when we talk about TrueCrypt? Where does it come from and what does it do? Uh TrueCrypt, it's actually been around for a while. It used to be uh, encryption for the masses. Um, and then I think back in, in 2000, it would changed over. Uh, the developer of encryption for the masses, he went to work for a private company, and uh, a new group took over, and they named it TrueCrypt. Um, it's quite interesting because it, it works on both Windows and Linux, and they're also working on a Mac version that hopefully will uh, come out in the near future. Cool. So, it, it truly is portable. You can take a USB thumbstick with a TrueCrypt uh, partition and use it in either a Windows or Linux environment. So and you said partition. Is it just a particular partition type then? Well, there's there's two different types of volumes, TrueCrypt volumes. They both function the same. Um, they have a volume header, which will have the encryption key, and every file in the volume will be encrypted with that uh, single encryption key. So. Um, if you look at other hard drive encryption uh, utilities, they often use a single key per file. Wow. Where this is one key for all files. Okay. Which really makes it uh, quite interesting in, in the encryption mode, uh, which I'll talk about in just a second. But you can have either a entire partition or a file. It, it looks and acts just like any other file that you would have on your hard drive, but it's actually a uh, a volume that can be mounted. Um, TrueCrypt acts as a driver in the operating system and does the encryption on the fly when you read or write to it. So uh, you would load up the TrueCrypt application, point to the file, and say mount is drive L, and you're off and running. So it's a mountable volume. Can it grow in size dynamically? Or are you fixed to a certain size? How does that work? Uh, it does have a dynamic option where you have to give it a maximum size limit. And as you add files to it, it will grow. Uh, it won't shrink, and there's a couple of different problems with it. Uh, it's very poor as far as performance goes, and it also leaks information. Um, for example, which which sectors in the volume are in use, uh, things that other volume options like a fixed size or a partition would not do. So it, it's not the best way about going things. 
uh, it would be better to say I want to have a file that's 4 gig in size and mounted as a 4 gig drive. And if I'm looking, I'm now I'm thinking about things like, wow, I've got 32 gig compact flash cards and things like that that could have data on it. So I want these things encrypted as well. All of that works. I just mounted as a volume on that drive. Oh yeah. Uh, personally, my laptop, I have uh, a laptop which is ultra portable. It's a little three pound ThinkPad. I, I love it to death. But you know, as far as doing developer work and stuff like that, I have a beast of a machine that's at home. Um, my Entire profile is on a, an 8 gig um, Flash Voyager D GT drive, so that entire drive is uh, is, is an encrypted TrueGrip partition. When I get home, I plug it into my workstation. When I'm on the road, I plug it into the laptop. And it's just a mountable volume. So, is it actually possible to build a bootable drive like this? Uh, yes, it is, and I'm not sure if you can do it on Windows. You can definitely load Linux. Okay. Um, off of it. But I, I don't think there's any way to do that with uh, Windows. So the idea here is you're not trying to encrypt everything. You're not trying to encrypt the OS. You're just trying to encrypt the data. So put my documents on a volume that is encrypted. Right. So, I mean, if somebody were to take my laptop, there's I have a very, uh, you know, I'm not really worried about the strength of my password for the laptop. There's no data on the physical drive. Right. Um, this machine, I have an image of it at home stored on another TrueCrypt partition where, you know, if I suspect anything's going wrong with it, I wipe that hard drive in a second, and I know there's no files on there that I'm going to be missing. Um, everything that is of any importance is on my, my flash drive, which is securely protected. And I'm, I'm getting at the idea here that the what we're trying to resist is the relatively intelligent data thief who isn't even going to try to start up your laptop after he steals it. He's just going to yank the drive out of it and plug it into something else and try and pump data out of it. Yeah, whenever you, one of the mistakes people make with encryption I see a lot is that they think they have something valuable, so they want to protect it with encryption. You really have to start to think about what are my attack vectors? How is somebody going to get at me? Um, for example, there are multiple different uh, algorithms that you can use with TrueCrypt. Um, AES, Ringdale, uh, the, which uses a 256-bit key, is by far the the strongest. It's the one that the government uses. It's the DoD standard. Right. Um, you know that works great. But if you want more speed, then you can use Serpent, uh, TrueFish, a couple of different other ones. And TrueCrypt actually makes it very easy from a user standpoint because it will show you how fast. Um, how fast your read and write times will be to the drive. Right. Um, what it thinks it will be, and you can push a test button, and it'll actually try uh, to work with the drive. So, you know, a, a flash drive is going to be a lot slower than the SATA drive in your machine. Um, but it will tell you so you can get an idea for the uh, performance. And what the consequences of using 256-bit AES actually is. Yeah. I, if you're, you know, if, if you're trying to protect from the government or a competing corporation, then you're probably going to go with the AES route. If you're trying to protect your uh, financial data from a identity theft crook, then you can, you know, use two fish and be just, just probably fine. any one of those encryptions is going to do. And yeah, it's sort of more yeah, of a. What am I thinking of? I always use the, the description of the club, right? The thing you put in your car. doesn't make right. your car impossible to steal. It just makes it awkward enough to steal. They'll steal somebody else's. Exactly. It, it's, it's 
a thousand times more secure than a shredder, <laughs> even a crosscut. <laughs> Uh, nobody, you know, the attackers, you got to think what the attackers, how valuable is that data, who the potential attackers are, and what do I need to use to prevent uh, a particular threat from being realized. And, you know, I do a lot of security projects. I deal a lot with people's social security numbers. I deal with, you know, I first got started working in financial in- industry, and I had access to just about everybody in the, in the U.S. is uh social that had a credit card that type of information i'm definitely using uh the highest encryption standard i can you're willing to um, sacrifice performance because the consequences of losing the data are so high exactly but I'll, I'll tell you one thing trying to run outlook when it starts doing its indexing Ouch. Um, on your data files you're going to see uh a little bit of performance hit on a three pound thinkpad a little bit huh a little bit. It's not. It's it's manageable. I, I have no. So it wasn't unusable. It was just noticeably slower. Yeah, it's noticeably slower. You will you'll be able to tell if something's running in the background. It's no less severe than uh, an antivirus program doing a, a full search of your hard disk systems. It, it's definitely no worse than that. So thinking about this from the standpoint of the IT guy who's you know running or working in the IT department. Um, recognizing that their, you know, data security and preventing data leakage is really, really important. What does TrueCrypt offer the IT department and the IT worker in terms of managing this on behalf of their users? And what do you see as some of the low hanging fruit? Where, where would a typical business IT department deploy this in order to, you know, solve the biggest problems? The, manage, the design of TrueCrypt makes it extremely advantageous over EFS or BitLocker or any other technology that's out there. Um, first off is the fact that they can use a thumb drive or they can use uh, thumb drives have fat filing systems. You know, EFS doesn't work there. Uh, or they can use a file on the hard drive. Or if they have a partition, they can use a partition that's not being used on the hard drive. So being able to select where that data is going to be, it is the first thing that makes it very advantageous. Uh, the second thing is the volume header contains the encryption key that's used to encrypt all the files on the drive. What the tech staff can do is when they set up the TrueCrypt partition is they can use a single key for all users, install the partition, and then back up the header, let the user use their own password, and then they can go out and if they for, in strong password, and if they lose their password, their data is not lost. They bring it back in. The IT guy can uh, restore the header over the previous one, which it it overwrites 32 times. So the old header is is really gone. That is one of the things. It doesn't have a secure delete because it's encrypted data anyway. Right. It will overwrite a header. Uh, to make sure that the old one's gone. They use the same password they used uh, to initially create the partition, and they're up and running. Users do not have to be administrators to mount a drive. You have to be an administrator to install TrueCrypt, and you have to be an administrator to create a partition. But to mount it with a password, any user will have the ability to do that. So walk me through, uh, as a user, uh, I have TrueCrypt, uh, my IT department, or I set it up on my system, 
what's the mechanism that I use to gain access to the data on my volume? And is it different for different volume types? Or uh, I, is it safe to assume that if I log on to Windows or Linux, then I just click on a drive or I, through a command line, just access a drive and then it's magically there? Or do I need to do some other things uh, before I can do that? Uh, the administrator, because TrueCrypt has command line ar- arguments, you can create a batch file which will automatically mount the drives and it will prompt the user to uh, enter their password. So as soon as somebody logs in to their machine, uh, it'll be able to load up, ask them for the password, and boom, by the time the operating system is finished uh, welcoming the user to the experience, it's already going to be in their uh, file explorer, uh, which is really handy because if you forget, you know, I'll go to load Outlook and my data files aren't there, and it will yell at me three or four times before it finally quits and says, okay, you don't have your... Uh, L drive installed right now. So as far as Outlook is concerned, it's just a drive. It doesn't know anything about TrueCrypt. Yeah. It, it, the operating system and anything that runs on it has no idea that this is anything other than a normal drive. There, there's no hint that it has that anything else is going on. What about password complexity requirements? Of course, a lot of, especially with all the compliance requirements that a lot of IT organizations are forced to uh, to take into consideration these days, and 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 in a good way. Uh, what does TrueCrypt offer? Uh, what 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 can it do for me in terms of enforcing complexity requirements and making sure that I don't have a uh, you know a toothpick holding holding my uh, vault door shut? Um. There's a good part and bad part to that answer. Uh, the first thing is there is no requirement. There is a stern warning if you don't use a password that I think it's uh, I think it's 96 bits of entropy, but you're talking a 20 character uh, uppercase lowercase. You're talking about a very very strong password. Sure. Uh, if you don't use something like that, it will give you a a fairly stern warning. I personally feel like uh, 76 bits of entropy. Um, I don't know if you guys use Password Minder. Password Minder does a much better job of showing you how strong your, your password is going to be. This doesn't do as good of a job. It, it has a very black and white line. And not really a, a, any level of enforcement, per se. They, the guy can ultimately right. click past his warnings and put in whatever password he wants. It's, it's been my experience that people don't quite understand password strength, and tools will do a good job to get them... Uh, a little bit of the ways there as far as saying you must have uppercase, lowercase, and a particular length. But when they're using a phrase, they're using something that's easy to remember, you're not making it that much stronger because dictionary attacks do use every possible, they'll take a common phrase and they use every possible combination of uppercase, lowercase, substituting, you know, exclamation points for the letter I and, and, and that sort of thing. So right. what I always tell users to do Get a good password, make it random, use something to generate your password for you, and then write it down and keep it in your wallet. Okay. If your wallet's stolen, then you know you need to change your password on your computer. If your computer's stolen, then your password is safely in your wallet. You don't store the two together. You don't put your wallet in your laptop bag and then leave that in the car. (laughs) And uh, sticky notes stuck to the laptop with the password on it, not a good idea. People think that writing the password down is bad. Writing the password down and storing it with the other thing that could be that it could be used with is bad. As long as you keep the two separated and you would be aware when one is missing versus the other, 
then you're not in that terrible of a spot. Right, or writing it down on a Post-it note that you stick into your wallet that says, my TrueCrypt password for this laptop is blah, obviously. (laughs) You could probably write it down on the the piece of paper and know that that's what it's for, right? Right, and I usually try and go, you know, just to share my secret with the world, I usually try and go somewhere that I've been to on occasion, and I might go to... I can always get back to a, a static surrounding, and I will use things from the environment there to randomly come up with a password. So I will go down the hall to a friend of mine's office. I'll walk in. I'll look at his books on the bookshelf, and I will come up with a password. I'll just pick a password out of those books, completely random. Uh, I could have walked into anybody's office. I'm not using words. I'm pulling pieces of text that I see in his room and putting it together in a password. By the time I type it in enough times, I'll remember. And, you know, if he has another book, book to the bookshelf in six months, I'm fine. And this is not about you remembering the password. It's about you creating a very random password. Yes. And TrueCrypt also has uh, another great thing, which is the uh, key file. You can use not only a password, but additionally a key file. So let's say your TrueCrypt partition is on a hard drive. Um, you can take and create a password, take a thumbstick with a file on it, and now you have three things that must come together uh, for an attacker to um, decrypt your data. So what's in the key file? Uh, the key file is any file you want. It, uh, TrueCrypt will generate a key file for you. You can use a file from your hard drive. You can use a picture. You can use a Word document. You can use any file, and it will use it for entropy. So kind of the multi-factor approach, the something I know with the password and the something I have with the key file. Yes. And and they would need all three at that point, the hard drive, the password, and your key file in order to uh, breach your security. And obviously it's in your best interest not to store the key file on the hard drive. Yeah, well, um, you know, if you've got a 2000-song library and they, you know, it's not going to say you're using a key file. You know, it's going to ask you what your password is. You can plug in a password, you can plug in a key file. The attacker won't know, uh, per se, that you're using a key file. So if I have a 2000, well, I've got quite a few more than that, but if I've got an MP3 collection and only I know the song, then I can pull it up. It could just as very easily be a picture. It could just as easily be any number of things. The system is going to take the password and the key file and try and generate the encryption key for the volume header. If it's unable to, it's going to say, you know, I don't know what you're doing. It, it doesn't. What you gave me does not correspond with what I have. So when we're talking about, uh, you know, putting in a password, we're talking about typing. So again, for the end user, what is it? What's the actual mechanism? What does the process look like in terms of providing that key file? Is it a browse button and then they go find it on a file system, or how does that work? Yeah, that's that's it. It, it you say add key file and open up File Explorer, pick out the file, or files. Uh, you can use multiple key files. You can use a entire directory. Gotcha. And that will all be used. Now, when picking a key file, you want to make sure that you're using something that's going to have a lot of randomness in the data. Text, uh, when you're looking at text, uh, in a particular byte, over half of the available bits are not being used. Right. Right. So what you want to use is a compressed file, like an MP3, like a RAR file or WinZip. Um, you want to use something that's compressed so that all the available bits in the byte 
have the potential to be used. Yeah, JPEG would qualify nicely there too. It's dense. JPEG, um, yes, absolutely. So you have the ability to use just a password or a password plus a key file. Is it even an option to use just the key file? Um, I'm not sure if it's an option to use just the key file. I've never tried that. Uh, I've always done either just the password. Um, for example, whenever I set up my TrueCrypt drives, all of them, I, I use just the password and uh, securely store the backup, and then I'll use a password and a key file going forward in, in day-to-day life. Um, I've never tried to use just a key file. Well, there you go. gives our listeners a reason to, to download it and check it out, and they can find out for themselves. Which, this is all available at truecrypt.org. And uh, it's a SourceForge open source project, um, general public, uh, I think GP3, general public license, um, that is available under. So you can't argue with the price anyway. No, definitely can't argue with the price. And really, this is, it's such a uniquely designed, they've, they've taken everything into account. Um, <clears throat> for example, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the, uh, the new Mercedes that has the biometric thumbprint scanner. Yes. How you start the car. Well, as soon as they came out with that car, no less than a few months later, somebody lost a thumb in a carjacking. No. And the taxi wanted that car. It required a thumb to start. And it took, took the thumb. And you saw it in 24 uh, a season later that, you know, they chop off the Air Force pilot's finger so they can get in the building. That is not a good scheme, right? <laughs> so let's I've say, never uh, thought that the thumb scanners on the laptops was a good idea. After all, your thumbs are all over the laptop. Yeah, and there's actually, you can go online and find the recipe for how to overcome the biometric scanners uh, with a gummy bear, um, some translucent, uh, papers like you used to have in school, the little overhead projectors. Right. Make a copy on it. You can actually copy a fingerprint on there, and it will it'll be raised to the point that you can use a gummy bear and uh, get past those biometric scanners. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it doesn't I, take much I, skill at all. It's pretty clear that there's no one silver bullet for everything security in the world, and biometrics are are not. Certainly raises it to a, to a new level above and beyond just a username and password, but. But I think your your point is that there's really there's there's no one way no one way to solve every problem. So it's a question of raising the bar. Right. The major problem with biometrics and that will always be with biometrics is that it's supposed to be based off of a secret. You know, if somebody finds out your password, you can change your password. If somebody learns your fingerprint or your retina, you cannot go get another fingerprint or retina. Yeah, at least not yet. That is why biometrics will always be a failure in the security Absolutely. industry. Yeah. It's an interesting statement, guys, and probably not an obvious one for those who haven't worked in that space near as much. You know, I'm looking at the TrueCrypt site, and there's a line right in the middle of it that says uh, plausible deniability. Now, where does that fit into this equation? That's where I was going with the whole uh, chopping the finger fingerprint on, exactly. Um, if an attacker were to get you, your hard drive, in the same room and say, all right, you're going to give me your password. Um <clears throat> One of the cool things is inside of a TrueCrypt volume, you can have another volume, and it is impossible to detect. Huh. <clears throat> what it does is when you create a TrueCrypt volume, it formats that volume by writing random bits of data to the entire drive. So you set up a 500-gig uh, TrueCrypt partition, you, you're going to come back tomorrow, and it'll be finished. Uh, it actually only takes about an hour and a half, but... It's going to write random data to the entire thing so that you can take 
and you have one half of the drive that is the outer uh, volume, and the other half, which is an inner. What TrueCrypt does is when you put in a password, it will look at the beginning of the drive and try and decrypt the header. If that fails, it jumps to the end of the drive and tries to decrypt the last few bits to see if you were looking for an inner partition. Now, the one problem here is that if you're using the inner partition, you could overwrite data on the outer. If you're using the outer partition, you could overwrite data on the inner. Because unless you have them both mounted at the same time, TrueCrypt is not going to know what belongs to what. So in normal use, you have to mount them both so you don't mess things up. You have to either mount them both or there is an option when you load it to say load as read-only. So you can load it read-only so there's no possibility of changing data so you don't overwrite data on the other one. Or right. you can mount with hidden drive protection. And if you click that option, it's going to ask you for two passwords. It's going to ask you for the password for the outer and the inner. Once it's loaded, uh, File Explorer is only going to show one drive. But it will know uh, which sectors of the hard drive belong to which volume, and it will not override it. So even if an attacker walked in at that moment in time, I think there is a slight difference in one of the icons. But other than that, you will not be able to tell that uh, there's two volumes loaded at the same time. And there's no way that they could tell when it's offline. So that is one thing that's very cool. So uh, if you were worried about that type of, you know, you're talking some serious corporate espionage or uh, rival gang factions or something where somebody's going to use force to get you to give up your data, you would always want to have dummy data in your outer volume and the real data in your inner one. Yeah, I think that's probably pushing the envelope for the average corporate environment. Uh, but it's certainly out of the realms of protecting yourself from identity thieves. But yeah. uh, the fact that somebody's thinking about this is probably pretty clear proof that somewhere there's a requirement. Somewhere there's a requirement and somewhere it's happened before. Yeah, so, yeah it's, it's, it's probably not the first time that's happened. I, I think another another area where, you know, TrueCrypt, uh, you know, can provide real value is it's not always the case that a portable storage device is is staying with one person, you know, it's, it's also, you know, I mean, working in financial services industry and dealing with very large volumes of data, um, which, which, as you mentioned, Eric, can be, can be, uh, quite sensitive at, at times is, um, you know, the ability to do strong encryption so that as you are safely, you know, currying a 500 gig hard drive across the country to ensure that, that it's properly protected, um, that there's real value in that as well. I could see the right. three-part protection being great for that, that I would have a separate package of the drive, the thumb drive, and the password. Exactly. So that you need all three of those things to put it together. Exactly. And that was one of the things I was saying at the beginning. TrueCrypt, the design of it is such that you can protect yourself to a very minimum level or to a extreme. You just have to look at what, you, what adversary you think you're going to be facing. If you're trying to hide uh, certain bills or certain financial records from a spouse, you don't need the same level of protection as you would from a foreign intelligence agency. Uh, there, there is quite a bit of difference in what you need to do. Um, <clears throat> and that's where TrueCrypt really excels. Easy to use. Uh, they have a beginner's module, which will take you through all the things that I've talked about. 
and have you up and running with a true crypt volume in a matter of an hour. I think also, you know, one of the other things that I recall and seeing in TrueCrypt is just some of the usability preferences um, and and some of its uh, even security-related preferences, uh, the ability to, if there's no activity on a volume for a certain number of minutes, then automatically dismount volumes, um, uh, you know, and also, uh, you know, decide whether or not to cache passwords in memory, and if I do, then how do I scrub them and when? So, you know, in the back end and from the configuration standpoint, there's some pretty valuable uh, tweaks and tools that you can use. Yeah, exactly. If you were to hibernate a uh, laptop, then, you know, everything that's in memory gets stored on the the hard drive. Now, TrueCrypt, when it reads data from the drive and loads it up to the memory, it decrypts it as it loads it up. So if you're using a paging file, then TrueCrypt will lock the memory for the driver, which is still in a guarantee. But once it sends data over to Microsoft Word, right, Word is going to end up in a paging file, especially a large document. So it, it does have in the uh, documentation that goes along with it, which is only, it's not that long to read, maybe 50 pages. It, it tells you things like, you know, if you're dealing with this, if you're in this set of circumstances, you may want to turn off your paging file. Um, you may want to have it automatically disconnect the drive when you go into hibernation or sleep. Um, it covers those things that you may not think about in, in good detail, and the documentation goes along with it, um, especially for XP and Vista. Um, not that they did a better job for XP and Vista, it's just XP and Vista give you more options than, say, Windows 2000, where you can't really control that paging file. And it also gives the option to set hotkeys for use with TrueCrypt. So I could, for example, set, I don't know, uh, Control-Alt-W if I wanted to, to wipe, uh, you know, wipe my volumes out and, and dismount all the volumes or, or what have you. Um, right. So so for the, for the keyboard user, um, a, a wide variety of different configuration and usability options. This is a mature product. It's It's been around for a while. It's been used by quite a few people that are very security security conscious um, they have a, a the website where you can suggest features and and also what they're working on right now you can see you can take a look at all of that um, but it's it's definitely a mature product all right gentlemen I think we're about out of time so the product is truecrypt and you can find it at truecrypt.org Eric thanks very much any last words uh, it's been fun guys thanks Thanks a bunch, Eric. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week on Run As Radio. Radio.